Thanks for listening to the Campus Collective Podcast. As always, we pray that this resource is a helpful supplement for you as a follower of Jesus and as an active member in your local church. We love God's design for His church, and we believe that this resource could never substitute the incredible things that come from active involvement with a community of believers. Campus Collective is a ministry of Huntington Community Church. To learn more, visit our website at HuntingtonCommunityChurch.com. Well, uh, before we even get started um, in the sermon this evening, uh, I just want to say a few thank yous. Um, I don't know if you have noticed or recognized that uh, 2020 has been quite a year. Um, It has been a year of tremendous trial. Uh, I know getting to walk with a lot of you that for all of the obvious reasons that we all know of why 2020 has been difficult, um, there's been personal reasons for all of us, and I'm sure all of these stories look different for each and every one of you, and I just can't help but think, I was dwelling on this yesterday and even going into today, that it is an absolute miracle that we are here right now. Um, And I don't just mean the fact that somehow the Lord has sustained us in this ministry um, to get to the point of somehow not having any contact tracing COVID stuff that have made us have to cancel. Um, We've been able to continue to do outreach on campus. We've been able to do a fall retreat, and we have been able to still be faithful in what God has called us to do here in what will undoubtedly be uh, the weirdest college year of your life. I think particularly I want to say thank you to the the freshmen among us. Uh, Keep thinking about how weird that must have been, like you're about to transition to um, one of the biggest moments of your life of graduation, and I don't even know if you, did anybody get to do an in-person graduation? A few of you? Okay, a little more than I thought. Sweet. So they were able to pull that off, but I keep thinking just how weird that was. And then you go into this college, you know, part of your life, and then you're hit with all of this. And so I just want to say thank you. Like, we, we, we don't see this ministry as a way to puff up the people on stage. We see this ministry as a gift from the Lord uh, to us to steward well. And, and quite frankly, if, if freshmen don't um, go all in with this mission, campus ministries stop existing. If you realize this, but if at some point freshmen don't say, yeah, we'll do this, then there are no more campus ministries, right? You all graduate and you move on. Um, So thank you. Um, This is a a big deal that you have decided at this moment in your life to dedicate time to being under the word, being discipled, and considering God's mission for your life. So thank you. I also want to thank um, our student serve team. It's been a ridiculously weird year to lead a campus ministry with all of the craziness, um, and they are um, just been faithful all year uh, to continue uh, meeting and praying and setting up and tearing down and, and just figuring, you know, you, who was here for the first uh, night when all the power went out right before? Y'all remember that? Yeah, that was insane, right? Like, it's amazing to think that all of this stuff that the Lord has brought us to, and I know a big part of that, um, I don't thank you all enough, uh, student leadership, but thank you from the bottom of my heart for being faithful. Um, also, I just want to thank staff. Um, I don't know if you knew this or not. If you're a student here, there are people that belong to Huntington Community Church that believe in you enough, meaning they believe what God might do through you in your life to dedicate time, an extra night out of their week to be here, to disciple, to encourage, to push you toward Jesus. And this kind of ministry does not happen without faithful members of local churches deciding that investing in college students is worth it. So staff, um, I don't thank you enough either. So thank you for 
doing all of the hard work behind the scenes that you may or may not ever get thanked for, uh, maybe personally, but know that I believe uh, the Lord is pleased. And I'll say this too, uh, I am absolutely convinced that the best for this ministry is still yet to come. Um, I don't, uh, we say all the time, like if this doesn't have eternal consequences, if there isn't kingdom influence infused throughout what we do, if there isn't eternity at stake, then this is pointless. We've said over and over, we don't come here just to entertain you or just to put on a Christian social club that you can be a part of. We are here to always consider the claims of Christ and what that might mean for our life. And I believe he's doing a work. I've seen it. I've seen some of you. I've talked to some of you who have maybe never considered Jesus seriously in your whole life, and now you are. We've seen prayers answered. We've seen the Lord do incredible things. It's our ultimate thank you, needs to be to him. Do you realize that anything better than eternal separation from him forever is mercy? Like we deserve none of this, yet he has continued to sustain. Not one time this year did he stop being sovereign and not one time did he stop being good. It's always been faithful. So there's two applications tonight for Mark 9 2 through 32, and I'm going to give those to you on the front end so you can use these as a filter to look at how we are going to wrestle with this text. First application is to be in awe of Jesus. Be in awe of Jesus. Here's why because you are going to give your life to something. You are. You can't. You can't stop being a worshiper. You can't stop being a human who orients their lives around something bigger than themselves. Even if that thing is yourself, maybe you're just in awe of yourself, there is something about what you want to see your future self do that gets you up in the morning, that drives you, that sustains you. And I am telling you, because that is true, anything other than Christ will fail you. Be in awe of Him. This is the point of our lives. Like the point is to glorify Jesus. This is not something to be messed around with. This is not something to take lightly. This is the point. You are designed to worship anything other than worshiping Jesus is destruction. And we want you to leave with this. Going into um, talking with a brother on campus last week, and he had calculated that you guys are going to be off campus for approximately 60 days. Think about that. 60 days. And as Jana mentioned earlier, it's always this time of potential spiritual drought for you all. And listen, nothing will sustain you. Nothing will keep you from going back into those sinful habits. Nothing will keep you in the word, in prayer, unless you are absolutely in awe of Jesus and who he is and what he has done. It will not happen. The second application, after we are in awe of Jesus, is to not put Jesus in a box. And what I mean by this is a truth that radically changed my life in a, I think it was probably around 2012, 2013. And it may or may not be that profound, but I think the implications of it for us are stunning. And is the simple fact that Jesus is not a concept. I don't know why this blew my mind when I was in college. Maybe it was because I was just 
All we had to do in college was learn different concepts, and I had maybe accidentally or sinfully diminished Jesus and just another concept to learn rather than a person to be known, a person to be known by, a person to love, and a person to obey. He will never fit in our little boxes and concepts of who He is. He won't fit in our political boxes. He won't fit in our emotional boxes. You realize that Jesus is not just what you feel about Him. It's beyond us. He is someone to be in awe of. He is beyond our moral boxes. This was huge for me. I remember wrestling early on in my years with Christ that I reduced him. I reduced my, the way that he felt about me. His heart toward me was just how long it had been since I have done one sin. You ever been there? Like there's one sin that is so in, is, is consuming that somehow you've boiled Jesus down to this little morality checklist that as long as you do this, this, and this, and not do this, this, and this, that that must mean that he is for you. He's bigger than that. In that same note, he will not fit in our Concepts are our boxes of religion. God is not interested in just dry obedience. Now, sometimes by faith we have to do it when we don't feel like it. But ultimately what he's after is our joy in him and relationship. There's more to following Jesus than just ritual. He also won't fit in your worldview box either. This is something I'm so burdened for you all. You are, you are bombarded. You are discipled. You are spiritually formed by a million different voices all the time. And you all come in here with different influences and different things, different truths. We live, I mean, I just learned this, which you can make fun of me. This is a saying, I guess it's been around. But I heard someone say that, quote, this is my truth. You all ever heard this? Ever said that? It's been around a little bit, right? I just heard about this saying. And listen, that is a lie. We don't get to fit Jesus into whatever we think our quote-unquote truth is. If death could not contain this man, you can't either in your worldview. And we love to let our self-obsessed culture influence the way we see Jesus. We make him in our own image rather than letting him shape us. But as we've hopefully seen throughout Mark, that Jesus is relentless after his Father's glory. Not primarily yours, but his Father's glory, and by his grace we get put into that somehow, in the greatest miracle of all. He's relentless with his life. He will not let us, if we claim him, if we belong to him, he will not let us continue to worship our own self-esteem. He will not let us. He's relentless after showing us our sin, showing us our unfaithfulness, so that we might experience His grace all over again and over and over again. Jesus is more than a concept. I'm begging you, please do not let your relationship with Jesus be boiled down to thinking the right thoughts or feeling the right things or looking the right way. There's more. And he calls you to just be in awe because He is worthy of your praise. And I know, in our flesh, we kick back against that some. Because it seems too good to be true, right? That there actually is a God who has actually acted in history. That what we actually claim is true, that joy, peace, and love forever is actually possible. And it can start by faith in a Jewish carpenter who died that we claim rose again and is coming back on a horse. (laughs) 
These things sound too good to be true, but if they are, they change everything for us. So my prayer for this passage, this section tonight, is that these three sections we'll see in these 30 verses of Mark 9 can be weapons in your fight to stop being in awe of other things in this world and to force your eyes and your heart back on the awe of Jesus. And that you might, by His grace, put to death all of these little things that we call saviors or we call our rest or we call our hope and that we would see Him all over again in the Scripture. And I'm begging you, let that be tonight. You realize how many lives that God has changed through settings like this with people your age who are just open by faith to what he might say. So let me give you a quick summary of these sections. The first one is a story called the Transfiguration. Let me tell you, if you've never heard of the Transfiguration, your mind is about to be blown with what Jesus does with his disciples. It's an epic part of his story. He is going to let three of his disciples in on the point of his life. Jesus is going to let them see his glory. And there are many lessons to be learned that we will examine. It was funny, I was uh, talking with Tony. He's uh, the guy who faithlessly, behind the scenes, works our slides um, almost every night. And he was like, can we just take a whole semester and do the transfiguration? (laughs) Because there's something about this depth and this beauty of what we will see here tonight that can truly overwhelm you to the point of repentance and worship. So there's many lessons, but the main one I want us to see is that we should also be in awe of this Jesus, and we should not put him in a box. The second story, after we go there, so they're going to go up on the mountain of transfiguration. They will go off the mountain into another miracle story. I've loved getting to watch God work in these miracle stories this year. But this particular miracle narrative has implications for the way that we relate to Jesus, Of course, the application will be to be in awe of him and not reduce him to a concept, but you are going to see something that just might set you free if you walked in here or you have struggled with doubt. If you have ever struggled with maybe doubting your own faith, there's power in this narrative. And then lastly, there's going to be a prediction. Jesus is going to let his disciples know what is coming at the end of the book of Mark. And it's at that moment that we will just sit the gospel before us and give us all a chance to respond. Then we'll sing. And season four, fall semester, will be over as far as our time of preaching. So with that being said, uh, if you would, I want to pray uh, that God might do something miraculous through this chapter. Father, I ask right now, Lord, that by your mercy, um, you might open our eyes to see glorious things in your word. Lord, there is no chance that I can explain these in a way that come close to doing these truths any sort of justice. So I pray, Lord, please, that no one would leave here remembering anything about a good speaker or a good sermon, but that you might, through these truths, overwhelm us with the grace of the cross. That we would all leave here ready to go all in, completely in awe of Jesus, destroying anything that keeps us from that and using our lives for the greatest cause. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, let's walk through this incredible passage. Mark 9, verse 2. It should be on the screen. There it is. Okay, good. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter 
and James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So let's just pause here. This is six days after Peter's epic confession of Jesus' true identity. You remember that? It was, you are the Christ. And then these guys were about to get a sight of his true identity. So it's six days since this moment. Jesus is going to take just these three disciples to a special trip up a mountain where he's going to show them something incredible. His inner circle of disciples, this is literally the essence of a spiritual mountaintop experience, okay? Literally going to be on a mountain, but also what they're going to see will be glorious. Um, Just for biblical context, it's kind of interesting. Um, God usually overwhelms people with his glory on a mountain. I don't really know why. I think maybe just God likes mountains. Um, But there always seems to be a situation where God will bring his people or maybe just one of his representatives up high so that he will show off who he is. So you actually see echoes of Moses and Mount Sinai where God revealed his glory, if you remember that in the book of Exodus. And he's about to do it again. Let's keep going. The next phrase here. And he was transfigured before them. The suddenness of this speaks to just how jolting this experience would have been. You understand, Jesus was all of a sudden transformed right in front of them. What they were about to get and see is a taste of his resurrection glory. Before the cross. This is, I want to show you all something. You confess that I was the Christ. I want to show you where this is all heading, where all of history is heading. And in a moment, they're six days later, they're Peter, James, and John, they're going up the mountain. All of a sudden, he is transfigured. And look at what Jesus is like in the next phrases. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. This is absolute perfection, purity, power, and clearly it is otherworldly. I don't even have categories in my imagination to understand how beautifully pure and white and radiant this might have looked. But obviously God wants us to understand that there is nothing in this world that could be this pure. And we have to remember, once again, he is not a concept. We cannot conceptually come up with just how pure, just how powerful, just how radiant Jesus is. And then, so interesting. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. This is remarkable. So Jesus brings them up transfigures right in front of them, and then all of a sudden two guys from the Old Testament show up. I cannot pretend to know what this is even like or what it, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they just, he like yelled from them from heaven to come or, or what was going on, but all of a sudden we have Elijah and all of a sudden we have Moses and we know that they are having a conversation with Jesus. Scholars would say, and I think it's important for us to know, that Elijah here is representing the prophets in the Old Covenant, the story of God through Israel to lead us to Jesus, and Moses is representing the law in the Old Covenant, almost showing how all of this is about to be a glorious representation of all that God has revealed to us. We've got law pointing to Jesus, we've got the prophets pointing to Jesus, and here they are talking with a resurrected, unbelievably pure, white, radiant Jesus. So if you're like me and you're reading this, my first question would be, what on earth are, or I guess not on earth, what in, what in heaven are they talking about? What are they talking about? And unfortunately, the book of Mark does not tell us, 
But if you cross-reference this in Luke chapter 9, verse 30 through 32, we see details of just what they are talking about. So you don't have to flip there. You want, if you want to, you can. It should be on our screen. Look at what is here. It says, and... Do we have that, Tony? I thought I did. Okay, good. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So what is going on here? We see a resurrected, the point of history, the point of the Bible, the point of our lives, our Savior, Jesus. There's, there's the law talking to him. There's the prophets talking to him. And they are talking about his departure that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The meaning of that word departure is actually Exodus. They were speaking of an exodus that Jesus was about to accomplish. Showing us something very beautiful here. The law and the prophets, the old covenant preparing the world, preparing history for Jesus, were pointing to an exodus. And if you, maybe you are hopefully making connections here that Moses would have been the one who God called in the old covenant to the exodus. Remember this? This was Pharaoh let my people go. Exodus, where God overwhelmed, showed off His glory in a way that defeated God's enemies and rescued His people out from slavery. And this is saying that in this glorious moment, what we are seeing is what Jesus is going to do in history, not a concept, actually happened, is another delivery for God's people. Not just from slavery to Pharaoh, but from slavery to sin. From their bondage to brokenness. Do you understand what this means? If you've ever felt enslaved or broken to the point where you just cannot get away from your sin, from your, just the way that suffering has entrapped you, what we are seeing here is the point of history is the fact that God sent Jesus not just to say, here I am, but to work and accomplish something that would deliver you from your biggest problem, which is you. It's almost like God was letting Elijah and Moses see the point of their lives. If you remember, Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. If you've read through the first five books of the Bible that details this. It was that part of God's epic history. He was going to lead his people to the promised land, but Moses didn't get to it. It's almost like, this is, I mean, I can imagine what Moses might have felt like. Like, you are, you're going to get buried with your fathers, Moses. You are not going to live to see this. And maybe, just maybe, this is Moses seeing it all makes sense. Maybe he didn't get to see the promised land, but he got to see Jesus. He got to see the point of his life. And Elijah, as a prophet, spoke about the coming deliverance of God's people, but now he gets to see Jesus in this one epic moment that three disciples got to see. Showing us as disciples of Jesus now, if you claim him as Lord. The point of history is the new exodus that Jesus will accomplish through his death and through his resurrection. The glory of this moment is almost too much to handle. You need to understand that Jesus is the point of your story. Apart from him, you continue enslaved to sin until your eternal destruction. But God came. He worked. He acted. And these disciples are getting just a glimpse of what is going to happen after Jesus defeats sin, suffering, and evil forever. We should be in awe of this.
One of the sins I hate most in my life is gospel boredom. Have you ever been there? My, my ability to somehow neglect worshiping of God or neglect prayer with Him to check something on my phone. Or my inability to somehow still be overwhelmed with the fact that I am saved. Or my ability to assume that maybe God doesn't actually have a plan when things don't go how I think they should. Or my ability to not trust Him anymore when I have a future that I think is coming that I'm scared of. All of this rooting from the fact that I just get bored with the gospel. I let the truths that are supposed to change my life, that radically changed my life in 2011, I let these things get boring. And I think the transfiguration is meant right here to yell at us, to wake up. This is the point of history right here in front of us. And these disciples got a glimpse and Elijah and Moses got to see it too. But remember, it's not just being in awe of Jesus. It's don't put them in a box, or in Peter's case, as you're about to see, in a tent. Look at what Peter says. You, you've got to love Peter, right? Like, Peter is the one that it makes all of us feel okay. Like, all of the ways that we mistake, and the way that we lack faith, and the way that we say things we shouldn't, and all of the sin that just comes out in all of our lives. And it's like, sweet, we got a guy who God used very powerfully, um, continually messing up in front of us, and look at what he does. <laughs> And Peter said to Jesus, the audacity, first of all, I can't, yeah, anyways, okay. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. <laughs> Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love this comment Mark added for us. For he did not know what to say. <laughs> for they were terrified. <laughs> Almost like Mark's like, come on, man, like, you really said that. But you have to love Peter. He was terrified, didn't know what to say, and honestly, he should have just kept his mouth shut. Which a point for us is, listen, sometimes the response to seeing a glimpse of God's global glory in Christ is just to be terrified and sit there and be quiet in the awe of His majesty. Jesus Christ really is the Son of God. He really is the King of kings, and He commands all of our attention. As we've continually said, we cannot contain Him. It was silly for Peter to assume that he could put a glorified Jesus in a tent. But I love how God responds. <laughs> and a cloud overshadowed them. It's almost like if you ever see in the movies where it's like the cliche part of, man, this, could, this really couldn't get any worse. And then all of a sudden, like, it's a storm. This is like... Peter, just really foot-in-mouth moment. He was terrified, didn't know what to say. He thought, I know, I'll put these guys in a tent. We can have a camp out here on the mountain. And all of a sudden, a cloud just overshadows, and then a voice came out from the cloud, and all it said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I love this. Application for us is not hard. Listen. Listen to Jesus. Please leave this semester with this absolutely ingrained on your soul. Let every other voice be a liar and our God be true. We have absolute perfection, truth found in Christ. And God is just screaming at us to listen. Peter, after the church would go and Acts and he would write letters to the people he cared about, he applies this experience on the mountain of transfiguration to the church for us. 
Look at 2 Peter 1, 16-21. This blew my mind in my study this week. He's writing about this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's talking about transfiguration. For when, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And then look at what he says about the Bibles that we have. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you see what is happening when he applies this experience on the holy mountain? Peter connects this authoritative, thunderous cloud voice from God the Father, potentially rebuking them for wanting to build a tent instead of listening. And he connects this to the authority of the Scripture. It says, the word we have is a more sure word. Do you understand? You have the actual words of God. I am begging you. Let's just be the type of people who refuse to listen to any other voice. Even if the world or our feelings go against this idea, listen to Jesus. Do not follow your heart. Do not seek your own truth. Stop looking to yourself for purpose or truth or stability, whatever. This truth that is thundering from the Mount of Transfiguration is to listen. And Peter says, we have a more sure prophetic word. God's Word in text for us to understand. Remember, Jesus will not fit in our little boxes. We are to be in awe of this. It's time to put down our phones and stop talking. We have 66 books of absolute glory in front of us in our Bible, and we get to hear God speak. You actually can listen to Jesus. Let's keep going back to the transfiguration narrative. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. No other but Jesus. Only Jesus remained. Everything else faded to the background. The law and the prophets were a good gift from God, but they were meant to show off the glory of His Son. The glorified Jesus is the point of God's universe. Then they come off the mountain. Let's keep reading. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written. At this moment, we, I cannot wait till January to pick this back up, but it's at this moment where the book of Mark, with all of its relentless, immediately language, it now takes a decisive pivot, and it is all eyes on the cross. It's just turning to the point of history. So let's look at verse 14. This is the next, next section here, our next story. So they get off the mountain and back to ministry. So when they came to the disciples, so back to the other guys who didn't get to go on the mountain trip, 
they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So after the mountaintop experience, they had to get back to the grind of ministry. This is important for us to remember in general, right? Like Peter was thinking, it's good that we stay up here, but God knew that there was more work to be done. So at some point, we don't only ever live just in the mountaintops. Got to go back into the grind of ministry. And it looks like these disciples had caused a problem with the scribes again. And Jesus wants to know what's going on. So someone from the crowd answers. Look at the next verse. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So this looks like one of the most extreme versions of demonic possession that we've seen so far in Mark. Maybe not the weirdest story, if you recall, I believe it was... uh, Jake's sermon where it ended with all the demons running into pigs and then those pigs jumped off a cliff. That is probably my favorite one and honestly it's fascinating. But at least on the surface level, this looks like one that is the most extreme. You think about this, this this guy has a son that he doesn't know what's going on, his son can't talk and then an evil spirit will just seize him, throws him down, makes him foam and grind his teeth and he becomes Rigid, this is a terrifying thing. Evil had oppressed and possessed this little boy. And clearly the disciples were unable to cast it out. This principles for us here. The disciples clearly need Jesus to fulfill the work and mission of Jesus, and so do we. The moment that we put Jesus in a box of our own ministry and our own strength is the moment we lose our power in Him. You have to understand this. The point of collective is not to build up collective. The point is to show off Jesus and he might add people to himself. Look how Jesus answers. It's a rebuke. It's harsh. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So we hear a rebuke from the Lord here, answering the question of what is the issue in our world? What is the issue in us? It is our lack of faith in God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. People who lack that faith of seeing God as their all-consuming treasure and Lord and Savior, this is the issue in our world. It is unbelief. The disciples lacked faith. The scribes lacked faith. Maybe the father of the boy lacked faith. And more importantly, we lack faith. We see the tension of Jesus, though, because Jesus never lacked faith in his Father's plan. But in his mercy, do you see this? In his mercy, he still moves to help this faithless generation. I love when I see this. There's a rebuke. How long am I going to bear with you, faithless generation? Bring him to me. (laughs) He still moves toward us. And look what they do. And they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Notice how even the evil spirits are terrified of Jesus because they know their time is short. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So presumably a lifelong demonic oppression that has led to this degree of self-harm Please don't skip over these details. You realize how horrible this is? 
This father's son has this type of demonic presence in his life. It's not just making him foam and grind his teeth and become rigid. Sometimes it would even throw him into fire and water trying to destroy him. This is a desperate father. And honestly, seeing how bad this situation might be, it kind of makes his first phrase there, but if you can do anything, understandable. Have you all been there in your walk with Christ? Have you ever felt this desperate for God to restore something broken in your life? Maybe it's that sin that you can't get over, or that person you think God will never save, or that prayer you never think will be answered. There's an understandableness, I think, from a human perspective that this father would see the gravity, the the, just the grotesqueness of the evil in this situation to respond to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion and help us. I love Jesus' response here. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. A jarring rebuke here. Jesus knows he can. Anything is possible. Please feel the weight of this in your own life. You really can leave here free from that sin. Did you know this? Like, yesterday can be the last time you fell into that. It can. By His power. God has saved every single person who's ever come to Him by faith. Perfect track record. There's no situation so evil, no situation so hard that Jesus cannot do something because it is anything is possible for people who believe, not because of how great their faith is, but because of the greatness of Jesus. And you need this going into 60 days away from here. I know, once again, we talk about this, but it really is something to be prepared for. It can be hard on your faith to be removed from Christian community. But anything is possible. This can be the best 60 days of your life. Not in some health, wealth, and prosperity kind of way, but God can meet you in the mundane. He can meet you in the hard times of being removed where it's just you and Him and you are forced to just be quiet and listen. It really can happen. And then there's a verse that I was telling you this can set you free if you struggle with doubt. Look what the Father says. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe Help my unbelief. Listen, you need this prayer in your fight for joy in Jesus. You need to hear this. Did you know that there is room for weakness and doubt? God doesn't cast you out because of your lack of faith in your faith. (laughs) Granted, it is true, we are saved by faith, but it is in that rock-solid faith on the object of Christ alone that we are free to confess the gaps in our spiritual lives. Every single one of us, if we are honest, our obedience to God does not match what we say we believe about Him ever. And it's fair to say that He wants full, confident faith and then commands us against double-mindedness, but we can claim our belief in Him while begging Him to help us where we don't measure up. Did you know that? I pray that you don't walk around thinking that God is just vaguely disappointed with you all the time. There is space and room For you to cry out to Him, I believe you can do this, but help my unbelief. All of our sin comes from the tendency to doubt that obedience to God is better than satisfying our flesh. We all need this prayer. Don't let the enemy use your weak, shaky faith against you. 
In Christ, there is no condemnation. You can come to Him with your weak, shaky faith, and He holds you through the doubt. Now, I know some doubters doubt God and walk away from Him, proving they never had faith. But this is not what we as the people of God doubt like. We doubt and we lean in. We doubt and we hate it. You know that there isn't freedom in your doubt. It's in that very confession where you can, by His mercy, cry out, I believe, help my unbelief. Bring that doubt to Him. There was only more mercy. You are empowered to even doubt your doubts because of Christ. You are free to live out what you do know, what you are sure of, and let His grace overwhelm the gaps and weaknesses in your spiritual life. Go back to it. And when Jesus saw that, a crowd, uh, saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This is beautiful. Jesus responds in power to our weak faith. You realize this. That father said, I believe, help my unbelief. And what Jesus did was answer in power. And then Jesus shows that these disciples couldn't do this because they themselves lacked the faith demonstrated by their lack of prayer, which begs the question for all of us, what are you praying about right now? Are your prayers small? Does your prayer life indicate maybe you don't believe that God can do far more abundantly than all we ask and think? Do you pray for revival? Do you believe it? Do we believe we can see thousands come to faith in our city? It can happen. And even in that tension, we can say, Lord, we believe it can happen, but help our unbelief because we don't live like that's true all the time. We can be in awe of Jesus knowing his mercy is big enough to cover our doubts if we will come to him. And finally, we land on verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, look, this is the prediction, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. The gospel was actually going to happen. This is an actual event in history, which leads us all to a decision point tonight. So, Ben, if you want to make your way back up to lead us in worship to Jesus, I just want you to consider these things. We don't want you to leave Campus Collective this year able to ignore Jesus. And there's so many different kinds of people in the room. There's faithful Christians who are struggling with doubt, and the charge to you is to come back in His mercy and come back to Him. There's struggling Christians letting the winds of the world draw you away. The charge for you is to listen to Jesus. And maybe some of you still, I pray not, but maybe some that are rejecting Jesus, you need to understand your soul depends on what you do with Him. Repent, believe, bring your doubts, bring your shame, bring your guilt. The Son of Man actually died in our place and rose again. He is alive right now and He is reigning. I'm begging you, do not leave here tonight without coming to terms with the fact that Jesus is not a concept to be learned, but He is a reigning, alive Savior willing to save anyone who will come by faith. Let's pray. God, I ask now that you would overwhelm us with truth, that we would listen with ears that can hear, that we all leave here 
repenting, believing all over again the good news of what Jesus has done. It's in his name we pray. Amen.